Welcome to another episode of the Father Ted Talk, broadcast here at the National Shrine of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton in Emmitsburg, Maryland. Now here's Father Ted. It's not every day that you get to celebrate the birthday of a saint. Today, on Mother Seton's 246th birthday, we're commemorating this woman who heeded our Lord's words in today's gospel. She denied herself, and she took up her cross, and she followed him. And she didn't try to save her own life. She gave it up. She forfeited it. As a mother, she gave up her life for her children. As the foundress, she gave up her life for her spiritual children. That is the only way to heaven, the way of the cross. Like St. Paul said in today's second reading, St. Paul told us to offer up ourselves like a spiritual sacrifice. And there's something very illustrative about normal sacrifices. The Old Testament sacrifices that the, where the offering was burned, the smoke went up to heaven. The things we offer up go up to heaven. When we offer ourselves up upon the cross that our Lord has presented to us in our lives, we ascend like the smoke of incense, the smoke of an offering up into heaven. Now, it's not very normal that we celebrate in the church somebody's birthday. Saints all have their feast days, their memorials. But very often that memorial is the day the saint died. So Mother Seton, for example, she passed away on January 4th in 1774, and so we celebrate her memorial on January 4th. Or yesterday we celebrate the memorial of the beheading of John the Baptist. St. Bede called that the day of his birth. And the reason why we celebrate their memorials as their birthdays is because it's the day. The day that a saint dies is the day they're born into heaven. They were born into this world on one particular day, but the more important day is the day they were born into eternal life, the day they passed from this world. But there's no reason you can't celebrate the both of them, which is what we're doing here with our patroness, Mother Seton. Every single time that a child is born into this world, that child is a gift from God. That child is something that somebody that should be celebrated. Because even if that child hasn't yet done anything productive, they haven't accomplished any feats, they haven't yet made the world a better place, their very existence is a gift from God to this world. And they don't even know it yet. And so on the anniversary of the, the birth of this woman who did so much for her children, for the church, for our nation... It's only right and fitting that we would celebrate it, the day when she came into this world. She was born on actually August 28th in 1774 to Dr. Richard and Catherine Bailey. And during that time, as most of us know, the nation was in tumult. There was this great social divide between those loyal to the crown and those who were for independence. Less than a year before her birth, we had the Boston Tea Party. Then, the British government responded by passing the Intolerable Acts, which infuriated the colonists even more. Two weeks after her birth, the representatives from the colonies got together in the first Congressional Congress to try and decide how they are going to respond to the Intolerable Acts. And then, when, within a year of her birth, Minutemen clashed with British regulars at Lexington. And there was this divide that was felt 
within the family of Mother Seton as well. She was born in New York City. New York City was a British stronghold throughout the course of the entire war. Her father, Dr. Richard Bailey, he served as a physician for the British Army. There was her grandfather, a grandfather uh, who served as a rector of an Anglican church on Staten Island, and he called for a restoration of loyalty and obedience to our parent state. But then when you look at her husband, her future husband's side of the family, they seem to lean much more for the rebellion, for independence. And our society is going through something similar to what she was born into, the society in which Mother Seton was born into, where there's this great divide in our nation. And some people look to politics to save us. They say that so long as this happens in November, our nation will be saved, we will be a better place, everything will be okay, so long as this person wins, so long as that measurement is passed. And for sure, that's going to be a very important step in the right direction, or step in the wrong direction. But ultimately speaking, we're not going to be definitively helped, saved as a nation by any kind of political party. One political party seems to have linked itself with the inherently divisive, divisive, uh, woke politics. And there are even certain members of this party who believe that the American democratic experiment is a failure and that we should be looking towards other forms of government and social rule. The other party has got its issues as well. Perhaps they're trying to maintain the, the values that are traditional in our nation, but they are lacking some, uh, there's a serious flaw in their logic in that they fail to realize that the only way to, that America can be the nation that it was founded to be, can be a nation under, united under God, is if it returns to the biblical faith that its founders had and follow the natural law. Our nation is one that was made by people of faith for people of faith. It's never going to work if we attempt to have a nation which leaves God behind. And this is something even atheists recognize. There was this German political philosopher from the 50s who said that the liberal secularized state lives on conditions that it cannot guarantee itself. It cannot guarantee the conditions that it needs in order to survive. It can't provide for itself. Democracy is not going to sustain itself. There needs to be a foundation, something that is possessed before democracy begins. Democracy only works if there is a belief in God and a obedience to the natural law. This is something we talked about the 4th of July weekend. But in other words, we need faith if we're going to restore our society. And it's no doubt that in these divided times, it's easy for us to, to look outside ourselves and say, this person has issues, he is a sinner, they are incorrect, what's wrong with you, you need to fix yourself. It's an easy inclination. We all fall into that. It's very easy for us to, you know, see the defects of those around us. And at times, it's even good for us to bring that up. Just imagine education of children without ever telling them that they did something wrong, that they're not perfect. But very often, it's exaggerated. Very often, we go too far. Very often, we try and fix society by trying to fix our neighbor. But if we want to fix the darkness of the society in which we live, we have to make sure that within ourselves is burning the light of Christ brightly. 
That's a, primor that's a fundamental step. That step must precede the exterior reforms that we are called to contribute to. G.K. Chesterton was one time asked, you know, what's wrong with society? And he responded by saying, I am wrong. Mother Teresa of Calcutta was asked, what needs to be reformed in the church? You and me, she said. You and me. St. Augustine put it a little bit more eloquently. He wrote, you say the times are bad, but you are the times. Be better yourself and the times will be better. That doesn't mean that we're supposed to neglect the world's problems. It doesn't mean we're supposed to stay huddled in the church, praying exclusively, exclusively praying that everything out there is going to get better. But we cannot separate the two. We need God if the society is going to be reformed. And whenever we do go out there, we must go out there with that recognition that we are broken too. It's not as if we are the saviors of the world who have all the answers, the solutions, and if everybody would just be more like me, the world would be a much better place. That's not the proper mentality. We are beggars who are showing beggars where to find peace, where to find unity, where to find prosperity in Jesus Christ, not in ourselves. Now, if we go back to the birthday topic today, Mother Seton, it's something we might, we're all aware that on birthdays you normally bring gifts to the person who is celebrating their birthday. I suppose that most of us do not have gifts from Mother Seton today, and that is fine. Because with saints, things tend to work a little bit differently. The saints have gifts provided for us when we come to celebrate them. Mother Seton has prepared gifts for us. She's prepared thoughtful gifts for us, we can say, not just the generic ones. Mother Seton, she knows what we need probably better than we, know our, than we ourselves know. Somebody needs to carry a cross today. She's going to give them the grace to do so. Somebody needs the grace of conversion or a second conversion. She will help them in that regard as well. She has a particular gift for each of us. And it's something which has been thought out. You know, Mother Seton, we see the statue of Mother Seton and it's, it doesn't move. I, I, at least, have never seen it move. The statue of St. Vincent de Paul, the mosaics of the angels, the crucifix, these things don't move. And sometimes we get this idea that because the statues don't move, the saints in heaven must be like that. They're just staying still. They're static. They're fixed. They don't change. But nothing could be further from the truth. In heaven, the saints are doing exactly what they did here on earth to get to heaven. In order to get to heaven, they had to fulfill the twofold precept. Love of God, love of neighbor. In heaven, the book of Revelation tells us they're constantly praising, adoring, glorifying God. They're loving God. And they haven't forgotten us. They do not neglect us. They know our needs. They know what we are going through. They, they realize the battle which is taking place here on this earth. And they are there to help us. St. Therese of Lisieux had this dream where she finally, it finally dawned on her how much the saints cared about us here on earth. She dreamed that she was walking in the hallway of her Carmelite convent in France when three Carmelites from heaven appeared to her. And she knew one of them by name. She recognized one of them. But she, never, she didn't really have a great devotion to this saint who appeared to her. And the, the four of them were talking, were conversing, and the three saints from heaven, they showed such great concern for St. Therese of Sioux. They were so affectionate towards her. They were so loving towards her. And she realized from that moment, just even though she had never sought their help and rarely heard their name, these saints 
we're constantly watching over. And that's true for all of us as well. Now let's reciprocate that attention. When is the last time we talked to our guardian angels? When is the last time we asked our patron saint to intercede for us? When is the last time we got on our knees in front of Mother Seton's altar and asked her to pray for us? Let us not neglect the saints because they are not neglecting us. And that will give them the capacity to bestow more gifts upon us. Mother Seton has gifts for us, but most importantly, the Lord Jesus Christ has gifts for us today in the Mass. In the Mass, He gives Himself. First and foremost, He gives Himself to the Heavenly Father at the moment, at the moment of consecration. That's why the priest lifts the host up to heaven. It is Jesus offering Himself through the priest to the Heavenly Father. It is Calvary made present on the altar. And then at communion, when we come forward to receive our Lord, He gives Himself to us. And there is no greater gift possible. And so as we approach communion in this Mass today, let's ask Mother Seton to pray for us. She who prepared so many children for their first communion, may she prepare us to receive this communion as if it was our first communion, as if it was our last communion, as if it was our only communion. May the Blessed Virgin Mary help us to love God who is coming into our souls.